Hello everybody, this is uh, amateur theologian Jim Barton and I'm here again with uh, Reverend Abby Conley to talk about um, Bloody Mary Bible Brunch. Um, we're back at Zinberger, so I do get to have an actual Bloody Mary with the Bible Brunch, so I like that. And um, today we're going to talk about sin. So um, sin is a less popular topic among progressives, um, but it's an important topic, honestly, I think, to talk about and how we relate to the world. And particularly, I think it's an important topic to talk about how um, non-religious people, unreligious people, see religious people. So I think it's an important concept for us to talk about for the person who's just totally uh, unengaged with uh, faith or church, because I think sin is an idea that we have that religion addresses. So we'll start with talking about that. The first thing we did, um, actually, we just spent a little few minutes um, you know, using the important theological sources of Wikipedia and Google. Um, and confirm that the the word sin itself is a is a translated is a, the word we translate as sin is a Greek word that comes from archery, meaning to miss the mark, and it's when you actually miss the goal. So you hit the target, but you don't you don't hit you're not doing as well as you can. So um, at the outset, I think the concept of sin in the New Testament, anyway, is an idea that you're not performing. Um, as well as you could. What you're doing is not as good as it could be. So, um, and, and I think it does talk about personal sin is sort of um, tied in with that. So, Abby, you wanted to talk a little bit about where sin comes from and the origins of sin. Yeah, so part of the distinct view of Christianity is that the problem is sin and sin is what needs to be fixed. In other traditions, that's not the case. So you have a very particular view. Um, part of that comes to us from Jewish tradition where people did things wrong and here's how you fix it. Um, but with that, because there was a temple system and later a synagogue system that is set what you do, you have things like the Apostle Paul who writes, I was pure and blameless in the eyes of the law. Because you okay, could. So you're part of the awesome, thanks. Because you didn't have to always feel guilt and shame. Um, there was a way to fix that. So then in Christian ideas, early church fathers were talking about this idea of original sin, that with Adam and Eve, they sinned, and so that actually became biologically passed down through all of humanity. Um, and then there are nice systems for how you get around Jesus being sinless and multiple virgin births to make that happen and those sorts of things. But there's always this problem of sin and then this perpetuation of sin. One of the ideas that I really like about sin is actually comes from um, one of the early church fathers, not Anselm, Augustine. Augustine's view of um, disordered loves. And so he said that yes, there was a fall, that we have this problem of sin, but this problem of sin was not, oh, we're completely corrupt. The problem was that we are created to love God first and the world second. And in the fall, what happened is those loves got disordered. So we learned to love the world first and God second. And so all of the work of humanity with God is to turn us back to God and loving God first. Still the problem of sin, but a very different view from you're caught in sin and there's absolutely nothing you can do about it. And I think it's what's, what's interesting to me about that is, about this whole idea of original sin, is um, to me, so, so Augustine is talking about, you know, 
we had this first order and, we're, and we switched it. It's, it's, it's not the way it's supposed to be. When I apply my, um, my worldview to the idea of the Garden of Eden story, for example, the idea of original sin, I think it's interesting that it recognizes that we as humans have a struggle that the animals don't have. So, in other words, a tiger doesn't have to contemplate whether it's right to eat meat. A tiger eats meat because it's a tiger. And we as humans, we have moral decisions that are a product of our, frankly, a product of, of knowledge and of intelligence and of this sort of, the fact that humans experience the world in a different way. To say that because of that, we have, we can do things that are wrong. Right. We can do things that are evil and, uh, you know, uh, a, a parakeet can't. And, and so that's another, for me, that's, you know, that's an interesting component of individual sin that I think it's worthwhile taking some time to address. Right, and that's part of being sentient beings with the ability to reason and logic, which we are the only ones that do that. Um, and that comes in then to discussions of free will. So part of the weird kind of claim of Christianity is like Orthodox Christianity, classical Christianity. There is an all-powerful, all-seeing, all-knowing God, and yet we can screw up we have that freedom and ability to actually do things that are against the order that God would have. That's a pretty crazy claim to say, yeah, that, that God could, but God won't. And I think um, the, the other thing that this, to me, comes out is the idea that we can get, um, we as humans have some feedback on whether we're being sinful or not. In the sense that we as individuals can know when we exercise this free will, is it helpful? Right. Is that exercise of free will, does it, do we feel good about it? Is it, do we have this sort of internal, and I think you can go, right, because I mean, there's two, there's two lines, right? There's one line is that, well, we just reduce morality to ethics, and we say we have a code of rules. Right. Don't drink alcohol, don't drink caffeine, go to church every Sunday, don't, you know, uh, whatever. You could have a sense of, you could have a sense of ethics. And, and I don't, and I, I think that, can be good, but I don't think it's sufficiently fulfilling. Yeah. And the other extreme is to just be purely um, um, relative, relativistic morals, where you say, well, what, you know, if it feels good, do it, kind of thing. Right. And I think in between there's, like, I think there actually are some underlying truths about what is immoral to do. It is a kind of a universal morality that you do not have sex with your father, or your mother, right. or your brother, or your sister. It's a kind of universal morality that killing people is a problem. Now, if it's in war, that's a different sort of problem, but killing someone is a problem that has to be dealt with in some way. And it's more than just an ethical problem. Right. It is true that there is an ethics that says, we're not gonna do these certain behaviors because we can't function together as a group of hunters if I'm worried that when I'm trying to kill the mammoth, you're gonna stab me in the back. Right. But then also there is a morality that I feel less human if I'm doing, if I'm, Right. Engaging in this. And I think that actually would be where you talk about um, the image of God and Imago Dei and what we all bear, that you're violating that image, you're violating what that means. And ethics become relative because of cultural norms. Mm-hmm. What is stealing here in this country would not be stealing by other people's standards because right. there's no such thing as private property. Right. That That is a relative thing. Or less stringent copyright laws. Right, right. <laughs> Um, so all these things that we've been talking about have been focused on an idea which is that sin as an individual I, Jim Barton, sin because I do something that is wrong 
Um, one of the ideas, Abby, that you've talked about that I think is really interesting and compelling is um, this idea of corporate sin and how we, analyzing sinfulness not from the point of view of what we as individuals do, but from what a community does. So we talk about that a little. So let's talk a little bit more about personal sin first, because I think that is where most most voices of Christianity fall, even if we don't. Um, and so to say that what you personally do and what you personally um, act out is what you're accountable for. And like there will be a day of judgment that you have to answer for it. And this is just the way the world works. That's where a lot of the guilt, the shame comes from that, you know, I am evil and I did this and what can I do? Um, And I think that doesn't get you very far because you and I both could lead a perfectly moral life by whatever standards and maybe never truly sin. Um, Mm -hmm. And that wouldn't fix the biggest problems in the world. So um, take someone, take a murderer. I've been watching Criminal Minds. Jim and I were talking about this. They're all crazy serial killers. But there's always a story of abuse, neglect, poverty. And that is consistently true um, across criminal histories. So how can you say, well, this person is a murderer and they're horrible, when this person was subjected to all kinds of horrible systems that we have to call sin. What else can you call brokenness but sin? So it's our sin that people don't earn enough money. It's our sin that people are exploited for food. It's our sin that the clothes on our back mean children die in a factory in Bangladesh. That's all of our sin that no one person can fix. It's also also a way in, because on the one hand, I think the idea of personal sin it can be helpful for me aligning the way I live my particular life, mm-hmm. and that maybe that can be valuable. Right. But it also can be an escape in the sense of like I think about the Black Lives Matter movement, mm-hmm. and you know many people who are um, not affected, right, who are um, white or who live in an area where they don't have to be concerned about police violence against them, can say, um, well, you know I'm not racist. I haven't done anything racist. I you know. I, you know, I never owned slaves, I, you know, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And then right. by using, by turning only to their own personal actions, um, avoid accountability. Because there's a difference between accountability and blame. There's just accountability and then blame and like sort of right. cause and accountability. Right. So, no, you personally did not do something that created the system of slavery. You were born well after. But, yeah. You benefited from that system mm-hmm. even later. So that's a perfect example of then corporate sin. And I think a very different outcome. It's not so much about what do I do and how do I fix this. It's about no, what do we do. And action and social change, not just my life and making sure just my neighbor is taken care of. And I think that idea... We were talking before about which of these two ideas is older. Um, Because I think you can find that idea of corporate sin in the Old Testament. You know, the people of God, you know, the people of God are worshiping some idol that's not God. And so they get in trouble. Right. They as a society, they as a society are not taking care of their widows. So they as a society get into trouble. And um, I I don't know. I mean, I I think that's a rich idea for coping with how we as a society relate to the world. Yeah, and I think it creates healthier 
systems because it creates a connectedness to each other instead of saying um, Christianity is not individualistic. Christianity is about the corporate body and the church and many members gather together with many different functions. And so removing that whole, well, this is only about me, is actually really helpful for a better life together, not just in the church, but in the towns, in the countries, in the states. Like, all of those things get better because you view yourself as related to other people, not just by, oh, well, I happen to live close to you, but by a moral covenant with God. And so this... You know, now we're we're supposed to be talking about the Bible, and so what role does the Bible play in this? I mean, I think one role the Bible plays in this is it lays out, first off, uh, centuries of history from the Israelites, from the Hebrew people, that we can look at the way God interacts with them, and then I think, and then I think we have in the New Testament the variety of ways of which God's people are trying to relate to God that can help us and sort of answer some of these some of these questions about what's right and what's wrong and how do you treat how do you treat the foreigner in your in your country what's the what's the right way not the most utilitarian way not the way that you know makes you the most profit or makes you feel happy but what's the right way right and i think we can get that through studying scripture and through studying like i said what the way god's people have answered these questions in the past and you know, I was raised fundamentalist or a particular version of fundamentals where we just read Acts all the time because we're recreating the new church. We were, mm-hmm. you know, the Stone Campbell version that said, let's recreate the church in the New Testament. Um, but there are helpful guidelines there about communal life, about being able um, to say to each other, I'll help you, about visiting people, about caring for orphans and widows. Those things that God's people do and helping the most vulnerable in society. Yes. And I think that, and I think the other thing is, I think the Bible gives you the terms of the conversation. And I think that the Bible can allow you to say things like, well, first off, Jesus says that we have to do unto others as we do unto our, as we would have them do unto us. So is that, is this behavior like that, you know? I think when you have Matthew 25, where Jesus is like, whatever you do to the least of these, that you do to me. I mean, I think that guides your sort of moral conversation. And, it, and, and I will say that, you know, sometimes it's hard to, I, I don't think you can answer some of these questions purely rationally. I mean, should we throw everybody who's Muslim out of the country? Well, you know, if you're just being purely rational about that, you get to some pretty ugly answers and ugly justifications. Like, well, I guess we shouldn't because it's hard to do. Right. Well, that's a for crap reason to not throw all the Muslims in the country. If you haven't said, well, Jesus said the person who won on this Samaritan, the good, the good Samaritan, is the guy who actually helped, the, and he happened to be foreign. Right. So you know what I mean. I think that that creates um, it creates a, a, a framework for the conversation that is appeal to this morality that we have inside of us and this morality that we can access through reflection. That is that I don't think is necessarily available for pure rational investigation. Right. It becomes a conversation with something beyond ourselves, which I think is the ideal behind Christianity, that it's not all about you. You turn from yourself to a broader Christian conversation, a conversation with sacred texts, and the conversation lets you say, well, you know, no, I think Paul was having issues with that, and that's a whole other thing, but it's a conversation born of spirit and of faith and community now so even if we are okay with um, gay people expressing their love and even if we're okay with eating shellfish and even if 
um, um, you know, we're okay with um, talking with people that have different um, views about God than we do. Um, we can still keep the idea of sin as a valuable tool that we can use in how to live our lives individually and as a community. Right, because how else are you going to say what you're doing is actually immoral? What you're doing is wrong. What you're doing is what Jesus said sends you out into whatever nether regions, hell, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. What else do you have to say to get that, that carries this weight um, of a whole tradition? All right. Well, I think that's a good place to stop. So Abby and I have decided that the Progressive Church should, in fact, keep the idea of sin. And um, our next um, podcast, we're going to talk about a related idea, which is um, salvation. So until then, uh, cheers.